Well, you know, we're talking about life-giving living, talking about the ability, really, to um, pass on the life that God gives to us to the next person, life-giving living, uh, to be able to live in such a way that we can take the grace that God gives to us and give it to the next person, that you can take the forgiveness that you experience from God and give it away to the next person that you can um, pass along the wisdom that God entrusts to you to the next person, that you could share the gospel, extend the offer of God's salvation to the next person, life-giving living, that we could encourage discipleship in the next person. And I want to suggest to you again that in order to really live like this, to, to, to be more uh, given over to life-giving living, uh, requires a degree of freedom requires a degree of freedom within ourselves so that we can focus on loving God and loving other people. Loving God and loving our neighbors is really what this is about. And it requires a degree of freedom even just to be available, to entertain the thought that God could use me more in the next person's life so that I would just be available requires a degree of freedom. And uh, sometimes it seems to me, uh, you know, that we miss out on this Reality that the Bible tells us, uh, Galatians 5.1, that if Christ sets us free, it's for freedom that Christ sets us free. Uh, the, the scriptures tell us in John chapter 8, Jesus says, when you know the truth, the truth will set you free. Freedom is a, a commodity in the scriptures. Jesus says, you know, if the Son sets you free, you will be free indeed. There's a freedom that comes from the inside out that enables us to live the life that God is entrusting to us. And once we have that freedom, we're free to then, into this life-giving living to extend it uh, to the next person. But if I become so preoccupied with myself, if I get so entangled in my own personal problems that I don't have the freedom to really, you know, focus on how I can invest in the next person and how I can maintain this relationship with God, if I don't simply have the energy or the wisdom or the concentration or the resources to extend God's life into other people, then I'm, I'm missing out on this life-giving living because I'm so entwined in my own problems. And so we're turning to the book of Proverbs this summer because uh, in Proverbs we have kind of a fresh dose of how God meant life to work and in very practical ways, in very practical kinds of areas. And, uh, and it's because God says this, wisdom is the ability to take what we know and actually make it work in our life. And God says this over and over in Proverbs, right? The fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. You don't know squat about life until you know God. I'm sorry, but you just cannot make life work the way God intended it without putting God first. The fear of God, factoring in God, is the beginning of knowing anything about anything. And, uh, you know, we would say, yeah, we believe that, but... There are lots of areas in our life where if we don't study the Word of God and know the mind of God and the heart of God, we're going along and we're creating problems for ourselves that tie us up, that keep us from being free to be able to pass on the life. And so this morning we come to you know, some priceless principles, I think, from the Scriptures about managing money, about managing money. And uh, first off, let me just say, you know, I think uh, Frank alluded to it in his prayer this morning, but... It should be so obvious to us as Americans today that managing money is extremely important. 
I mean, it's in the news all the time, right? At the top of the news. We are in a mess in our country. Why? Because we don't have enough resources? No way! We've been blessed beyond imagination for most of the world. Why are we in this mess? Because we move away from God, because the fear of God is the beginning of knowing how to do anything. And when we move, the further we move away from God, the more we try to solve problems on our own, uh, the more problems we create, and we become entangled. On my way home this week, on, uh, from church here, going home, there's a billboard now on the side of the road on the Route 8 connector. And it's this giant billboard, and it says, $30 billion aid to Israel, question mark. And I thought, that's going to appeal to an awful lot of people. Why don't we just pull back, you know, on what at least our forefathers felt we were called to do uh, as a nation, and, and so on and so forth. And so I, I think, you know, we should understand that managing money really does matter. In all your ways, we sing at the end of all of these services, in all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. He will keep the bumps out of your life if you acknowledge him. And so this morning we're talking about acknowledging God when it comes to uh, managing money. And I want to say this up front. It doesn't matter whether you have a little or a lot. There are sometimes you meet people and they say, you know, I don't make that much money that I have to even think about it because I have nothing to work with. That's a lie from hell. How you manage the little that you have is all important to God. I remember Barb and I, when we first got married, and we were in seminary, you know, a date night for us. We said, ah, we've got to have a date night. You know what our date night? Our date night was going to the grocery store. And our challenge in the grocery store, and especially in the summer because it was air conditioned. Ah, that was a treat, right? It was a date. My wife, you know, thinks she didn't marry a Dutch guy for nothing. This is a date, free air conditioning. Come on, let's go. You know? And then our challenge, you know, in the grocery store was... Can we save enough money on groceries to be able to stop at the junction, which was an ice cream place, on the way home? And that was our challenge. Can we save enough? And so, you know, can we buy this brand or that brand? Let's buy the cheap brand because we can have ice cream, you know. And, uh, you know, whether you have a little or a lot, on the other end of the spectrum, there are people who have tons of money. And they have the same attitude, like, oh, I don't have to worry about it. I can be careless. I got money to burn. It really doesn't matter. And, uh, and so, you know, how is it that NFL football players who make, on average, 900 grand a year across the board. I mean, you know, the stars make a little more, but across the board, 900 grand a year. How do they end up in bankruptcy court? How does that happen? It's not the amount. It's the management. And the management goes to character. And, and that's what God is trying to build. And God is trying to work at, through money, is what he's trying to build more of his character into ourselves. What if the issue is not how much, but how it's managed? What if that's what Jesus meant in Matthew chapter 25? When he said the kingdom of God is like this, you know, the king comes and trusts some money to different people, different amounts to different people, goes away for a long time, comes back, and account. what if God is watching? And what if it's not the amount, but what you do with what is entrusted to you and how you manage it? What if your children are watching? And what if your children are going to get into the next generation and they're not going to have much or they're going to have a windfall? How are they going to know how to manage if they don't? What if God is watching? What if your children are watching? Uh, there are lots of foolish things you can do with money. Would you agree? There are a lot of foolish things. But I want to suggest to you this morning from Proverbs, there's four wise things you can do with money. Four, there's tons of foolish things 
Uh, that I think we can find on our own, but there are four wise things that we can do with money. Number one, uh, we can earn it. We can earn it. And the scriptures encourage us. I think it was God who came up with the idea, six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. And the seventh is the Sabbath to rest and, and so on and so forth. I don't think you can be allergic to work. You can earn money. And the scriptures encourage us to earn it through work. So instead of thinking about how can I get rich quick, instead of uh, trying to think about some kind of scheme, instead of thinking about how can I steal somebody else's money, instead of thinking about entitlements, instead of thinking about gambling, God says you can earn money, and you should earn money. Proverbs chapter 13, uh, verse 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Just the opposite of human nature. Most of us think, oh, if I could just get a windfall, that would be great. God says, nope, you'll be way better off learning how to manage money if you just get a little bit at a time and little by little learn how to manage it. Learn how to uh, deal with what God entrusts to us because he's looking to build character. Uh, in chapter 14 and verse 23 in Proverbs, uh, all hard work brings a profit, okay? But mere talk leads to poverty. All hard work brings a profit, but talk just leads to poverty. And again, I think, you know, uh, learning how to manage money is God's objective for us. It's not the money. Um, and I, I just want to suggest, you know, that uh, I, I hope you're bringing your own Bibles because every once in a while if the Holy Spirit says, ah, that's for you, you want to circle that or underline it. You want to go back and spend some time in that neighborhood of Proverbs because there are probably other supporting ideas that would come around that. In uh, Proverbs chapter 10 and verse uh, 2, again, managing money. Look at, uh, look at what the scriptures say. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value. If you cheat to get money, if you lie to get money, it won't be of any value to you. You might think that you're getting ahead, but the truth is, it, it, here's God's principle, it won't. But righteousness delivers us from death. Now, the character that's being built, the righteousness that develops when we uh, are, have little bit by little bit, learn how to save, learn how to invest, learn how to spend, uh, that kind of character is what God is seeking to outfit us with. It's not the money, but it's the character quality of righteousness that God is looking to develop in us so that he can bless us. Uh, Proverbs chapter 21 and verse 6. Again, uh, to this principle. A fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. If you rip somebody off and you think you've won, you're a loser. You just don't know it yet. But sooner or later, it will catch up to you. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. Uh, again, uh, to this principle. 28, 20. Says this, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Again, faithfulness is the character quality that God is seeking to build through money. But one eager to get rich and not worried about faithfulness uh, falls into a lot of traps. And so God is out to use money to build Christ likeness into us. And people uh, who, if you think about it, Oh, what God is trying to do in this lifetime is make us people who are fit to inherit heaven. We have to be getting ready to be able to live in a perfect society, in a place called heaven. And part of the way that God is preparing us is through uh, how we use money. And so 
Here's a couple of principles. Honesty, first of all, in earning money is a high priority in the Bible. Proverbs uh, 16, 11, and some of the verses we've already read kind of hint about that. Uh, Proverbs 16, 11 says, honest scales and balances are from the Lord. Honest scales and balances. You know, back in these days when people would buy and sell things, they'd have a weight and they'd put the weight on one side of the scale and then the commodity on the other side of the scale. Well, you know, you could slim, uh, skim a little bit if you just changed the weights a little bit. You told people this was a pound, but maybe it wasn't quite a pound, and then they thought they were getting a pound of flour or whatever, and it was just a little bit short, and you were gaining money by it. That's the kind of thing that was going on back in those days. Today, we call it insider trading, or we call it other things, but, you know, it's the same idea. How can I scam somebody out of their money? And God says, you know, that never works. That's not what this is about. And so, uh, 21... Uh, Proverbs 21, uh, verse 6, same idea. A fortune, is, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. Okay? Uh, Proverbs chapter 28. Again, you think about all the different ways uh, that uh, people think about to be able to gain money. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 20. Uh, a faithful man will be richly blessed, but one eager to get rich will not go unpunished. Again, that same principle. Faithfulness, righteousness, character is what God is seeking to accomplish through the use or the management of the money that he entrusts to us. Now, I think attitude is a, a, a ver honesty. A second great, uh, there's a great passage about Proverbs 30 about attitude toward money. And this is really, a, I think, a, how many people embrace this wisdom when it comes to managing money? Here's what Proverbs 30, verse 7 says. Two things I ask of you, O Lord. Please don't refuse me before I, deny, before I die. Number one, keep falsehood and lies far from me. Help me not to be a liar, right? Help me to be straight shooter, to be honest, all right? That's one. Second thing, give me neither poverty nor riches. Don't give me poverty and don't give me riches. And then he goes on to say why. He says, please don't give me poverty and don't give me riches, but give me only my daily bread. Otherwise, I might have too much and disown you. Otherwise, I, I just might have so much money that I'll think, who needs God? And you know, the one thing that Jesus ever compared himself to when he was on this earth was money. He said, nobody can serve two masters. A lot of people look for money to do for them what only God can really do to provide security, to provide a sense of well-being, to provide a sense of power, whatever. You know, a lot of people look to money to do for them what only God can really do. And Jesus says, you can't serve me and money. You have to make a choice of what's going to be first. And so the author of Proverbs here says, you know, look, I don't want to be poor. He says, because if I'm poor, you know what? I'm going to be tempted to steal, and I'm going to dishonor you. If I were to be poor and hungry and starving, I might do what I know is morally wrong. I might steal money, and that would bring dishonor to you. But I don't want to be rich either, because if I'm too rich, I might forget all about you. And I might just go let money take your place in my life and go merrily along and ignore you. And so the wisdom of Proverbs, and I think, how many people have this attitude towards money? I don't want to be poor, and I don't want to be rich. But I want to have just enough to be able to get by because I want God to be first in my life. If you um, go back in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter 8, you know, when God was just putting the nation of Israel together, he said a similar thing to this. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, he says, listen, uh, verse 10. He says, when you have eaten and are satisfied, satisfied, praise the Lord your God for the good land that he has given you. 
When you eat and you're full and you... And he goes on, he says, and, and be careful that you don't forget that the, Lord, that the Lord is your God, failing to observe his commands and his laws and his degrees that I'm giving you today. Otherwise, when you eat and you're satisfied and you build nice houses and you settle down and when your herds and flocks grow large, your silver and gold increase and all you have is multiplied, then your heart will become proud and you will forget the Lord your God. Now tell me that didn't happen in Israel's history. Tell me that didn't happen in America's history. As soon as God blesses, the big danger is forget him, right? And it, time and time again, God would pour all kinds of blessing on Israel. What would happen? They'd turn away from him, do their own thing. God would bring some kind of crisis into their national life. And all of a sudden, they'd come back to God. And then God would build them up again and so forth. And then they would have to crash again and, and so on and so on. Here's verse 17. You may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. Okay? But remember, the Lord your God, for he, it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. It's God who gives you the ability to produce wealth. Okay? And so confirms his covenant with which he swore with your forefathers it is today, if you ever forget the Lord your God and follow other gods and worship and bow down to them, I testify against you today that you will surely be destroyed. It's your choice, God says. I'm going to give you the ability. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your gold increase. But don't forget about me. Don't forget where it comes from. Don't forget that you were born uh, to, to the family that you were born to by God's design and decree. Don't forget that you live in a part of the world where it's possible by God's design and decree. Don't forget the Lord, right? And so attitude is so important. And this leads me to my second uh, good, wise thing that you can do with money. The first thing is you can earn it, and earn it honestly, and work hard, and earn as much as you can, okay? But second, the second wise thing to do with money in uh, Proverbs chapter 3 is the uh, key verse here. Proverbs chapter 3, 9 and 10. The second wise thing to do with money is acknowledge God. Don't forget God. Acknowledge God first. In um, chapter 3, uh, verse 9 and 10, here's what the scriptures say. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. First. God first. That's, you know, then your barns will be filled to overflowing, your vats will brim over with new wine. Honor God first. I say the second thing after you earn money is that you acknowledge God by giving him a portion of your money. One way to uh, make sure that money never gains priority over God in your life is to give the first portion of it back to him. To acknowledge, I only have this because you set up my life in such a way that I have this blessing. And I want to acknowledge that. And so the first part goes back to him. Uh, I think it ensures that money doesn't gain priority over God because he's always first. Because you love him with all your heart. And because his blessing, his favor on your life means more to you than anything else in your whole life. You know, I don't think God needs your money. He really doesn't, right? He owns the cattle on a thousand. You need to give it. God sets this in motion because we need to constantly keep before us where this ability and where all of it really comes from. It's not that God needs money. It's that God's people need the discipline, the character of putting him first. And money is one way, not the only way, but one way of doing that. You know, if you're a Christian, 
I don't know if you've thought about this, but if you're a Christian, man, you are on the edge of inheriting heaven and a brand new body that will never get sick, that will never shed a tear, that will never be hungry, that will go on for all of eternity. You are on the edge of inheriting a seat at the table of the God of the universe forever because of the gift. You are incredibly rich because of the grace of God. Just think about how rich you are simply because God loves you. We will be loved with an everlasting love because of God's grace. And one way that you say, thank you, God, is by putting him first with money. Now, I know that this principle gets abused and it gets twisted and it's used in wrong ways. Uh, we sang it this morning. God is looking on our hearts and our motives. And uh, that's so important. If, if, uh, if, if this principle gets abused, you know, when Barb and I were away for a week, we were down the Outer Banks, and so Sunday came, and we, you know, we were looking for a church. And so I let Barb pick the church because she doesn't really get much choice during the year, you know, where she can go to church. <laughs> so I figure, well, it's the least I could do on vacation, okay? And so, you know, it's kind of hard to pick a church when you're just new in the area, and you're looking around and so forth and whatever. But anyway, we end up in this church, and uh, it's a name-it-and-claim-it church. The pastor is a, a disciple of Kenneth Hagin, if you know who he is. And, um, you know, this whole principle of give to get, the message was give to get. So here's this principle revealed in the scriptures about loving God with everything that's in your heart and as a part of that, responding by giving to him. And God will be pleased to bless you. When God realizes that your heart is right and that you're ready and you can handle it and so forth, he's happy to bless. But this whole thing got twisted around to saying, you know, this is all about me. And if you want more, this is a way to kind of put God in a corner and twist this truth around so that if you give to him, he'll have to give to you. And that was the message. And I thought, that's not, God is looking at motives in heart. And if your motive is to get rich, if your motive is to use God, you haven't got the right principle. You know? And uh, so I think motives become such an important uh, principle, uh, chapter 21, verse 2 of Proverbs. Uh, All a man's ways seem right to him, but the Lord weighs the heart. All of our ways, we can rationalize and we have reasons for everything we do on the surface, but the Lord is looking at our hearts. He's looking deeper, just as we sang today. He's looking deeper. He's looking for motives. He's looking, am I sold out? Have I surrendered my heart? Do I really acknowledge that he's the most important uh, person in my life? Have I surrendered to him my motives? I think the single most important thing you can do with your entire life is to develop a love for God that captures your whole heart. Develop a love for God that captures your soul, your mind, your strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. I mean, that's the single most important thing. God says that's the single most important thing you can do with your whole life. Love the next person as yourself. And one way to do that is with money. Now, in other places in the Bible, I'm not going to spend a lot of time here, the Bible sets the standard, the entry level at a tithe, 10%. People say, well, how much do I need to... I would say that, you know, both Old Testament and New Testament support this idea that the first 10%, you know, really belongs to God. Give it to God. Give it in worship. Give it as an act of worship. The first thing we should look forward to doing is what can I do to come alongside and, and join God in his cause? And I think tithing is kind of the entry level, and then it goes on from there, like, you know, until you get to the point where you can live off of 10% and give 90. That's great. 
Um, but we also honor God, I think, uh, the scriptures talk about quite a bit, uh, when we relieve the needs of the poor. When we manage our money in such a way that we have resources that we can use to reflect the very heart of God to people who aren't as blessed. And I think uh, this is an important principle. And I, again, I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time because uh, at the end of August, I have a whole uh, message on uh, compassion as part of life-giving living. Uh, and, but just for now, in chapter 7, I want to give you a couple of verses. Chapter 17, uh, verse 5. Uh, this, is, uh, this is such an important verse, it seems to me, for those of us who live in the West and who are uh, blessed, at least materially, in so many ways. Uh, he who mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. If you're on the poor for being poor, now, you need to know there are two different words in the Hebrew language for poverty. One is the result of laziness, and the Bible, there's Proverbs that talk about how not to come alongside of that. But there's another kind of poverty that results from oppression. Not all poverty is because of laziness. Some people who are rich are very quick to look at people who are poor and say, well, you're just lazy. Why don't you pull yourself up by your own bootstraps like I did? Well, why don't you go and study their situation and see how much you could do in their situation? Because there is such a thing as oppression in this world. There is such a thing as being the victim of tragedies that come upon life in this world. And God aligns himself with the poor. We'll see it when we you know, uh, get into that. But listen, whoever mocks the poor shows contempt for their maker. You've got to remember, that person is a creation of God. And he cares about them as much as he cares about you and me. God so loves the world, right, that he gave his son. Uh, 22.9. Uh, a generous man will himself be blessed, for he shares his food with the poor. Generosity is a characteristic of God, wouldn't you say? He gave his son. And so every time we're generous, we're, we're, we're just reflecting the heart of God. We're developing the character of God. And, and God calls us to manage our money well so that we can be in a position where, yes, we can be generous, where God can bless us and trust us, that we will, you know, reflect his heart uh, into the rest of the world. Uh, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 22. A stingy man is eager to get rich, and he's unaware that poverty awaits him. A stingy person, just trying to hold on to everything, is unaware that that's not going to work. This is wisdom about how to manage money. And, and, and these are, you know, kind of characteristics. We, we live in an affluent West, but the affluent West lives in a poverty-stricken world, global village. And uh, again, we'll pick up this theme. Uh, one last thing, 1431, uh, Proverbs 1431. Uh, says this, uh, he who oppresses the poor, oh, again, shows contempt for their maker, but whoever is kind to the needy honors God. Again, why? Because God is generous. And God, I mean, you're a needy sinner, and God reaches down to you with the, all the generosity he can muster. He gives everything he's got when he gives his son. And when we reflect that generosity of God into the world in which we live with wisdom, um, God calls, God, we honor God with our riches. Okay. Third thing we can do with money, uh, we can earn it, okay, we give it, and we can spend it. 
And uh, chapter 21, verse 20 is kind of a, I think, a touch uh, word for we can spend money wisely. All right? We have money to spend, and we should spend it wisely. Uh, verse tw chapter 21, verse 20 says this. In the house of the wise are stores of choice food and oil, but a foolish man devours all he has. A wise person doesn't spend everything they have. Okay? And they're kind of like the ant. You remember we talked about the slug and the ant? And the ant, even though it's weak and small and tiny, but it saves for the future. The ant knows the future is coming. And so being wise with how we spend has to do uh, with wisdom in terms of how we spend money. And uh, maybe the first issue when it comes to um, being wise in how we spend is to be able to draw a line between needs and wants. We need certain things. And God has promised to meet our needs. But a lot of times... We have wants, and there's nothing wrong with wants, except they're really not needs. And when we label them as needs, we confuse ourselves, and we create problems for ourselves. I might need a car to get to work, but I want a Corvette. And when I say I need a Corvette, I create a lot of problems for myself. Because if I really believe that I need that, you know, another problem with spending is I can go right over here, sign my name, and have it. Another big problem when it comes to spending is the whole idea of credit and debt. Indebtedness is killing us, right? And uh, here's the principle, it seems to me, when it comes to this. Um, 22, verse 7 says this, The rich rule over the poor. You know this, right? And the borrower is the servant to the lender. There's one thing worse than being broke, and it's being in bondage to somebody else. Isn't that right? It's one thing to be broke. You can deal with that. But when you become uh, in, in, in bondage to somebody else because they now have lent you money and now you owe them and they can control the interest and all the rest of it, uh, all of a sudden you find out you're in bondage. So here's, I think, a very simple principle that I, I, I think is a, a helpful way to remember how to spend money. Um, if you're foolish in spending money, you realize that... Um, when you spend money foolishly, it always starts out easy. I can remember when I was in college getting all of these uh, applications for credit cards. I had no credit, no money, but you know what? Trying to get me hooked, right? And you could have anything you want because it's easy. Sign your name and here's $10,000 worth of credit. Always starts out easy. Always then gets hard. Oh my goodness, 20% interest. How am I going to pay that back? It gets hard, and it always ends in bondage. Wise spending always starts out hard. Oh, I only have this much. I have these many wants, but I only have this much. I have to deny myself. I have to say no. I have to set aside some for savings. I have to make God first. You know, And it's hard. But when you start out and do the hard thing first, it gets easier because God blesses it. And it ends up in freedom, financial freedom at the other end. So you always have a choice. Do we want to do the easy thing now? It's kind of like where our country is at right now. Are we going to do the hard thing or are we going to do the easy thing? If we do the easy thing now, raise the ceiling, well, we'll just have a harder time down the road. It's the same principle in our personal finances. If we do the hard thing, and we say no to ourselves. I think if every politician, I said to Barb on the way down here today, if every politician said, next year, 2012, 
I'm going to take a 10% cut in pay. I said, if I was the president, I would tell every government employee, you take a 10% hit next year. And then I'd ask everybody in the country to follow. I'd put it all towards the debt. I'd let all of us suck it up for a year. And we get back to some level grounds. Kind of like the principle in the Bible of the year of Jubilee, where God you know, had Israel say, look, every seven years, we're going to have a year of Jubilee, and all the property's going to go back, and the debt's going to be forgiven, and, da -da 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 -da, and we're going to get to that level ground again. Then I'll give you another seven years to mess it up, and then I'll come back and straighten it all out again. You know? Spending. It always, if it starts out hard, it'll get easier, and you'll find freedom. When it starts out easy, it always gets harder, and you end up being a slave. Uh, one of the wise ways, it seems to me, uh, to manage money is to create a budget. And I know a lot of people live without doing that and just kind of go day to day. But if you were to take these principles seriously and you were to say, yeah, I want to honor, I want to earn as much as I can. I want to honor God as much as I can. I want to spend wisely. You know, uh, one way to do that is just make a budget. Just sit down and say, I anticipate this is how much money God is going to entrust to me to manage for him. And then how much am I going to spend? How much am I going to give? Where am I going to do it? And so on and so forth. Uh, Proverbs uh, 16 talks about, you know, making a plan. Proverbs 16.3 says this. Uh, Commit to the Lord whatever you do, and your plans will succeed. Fear of God is the beginning of wisdom. Commit your plans to the Lord, and he'll make them succeed. Verse 9 says, in his heart a man plans his course, but the Lord determines his steps. God would love to bless people. I really believe that. Uh, but the first thing is the character. And so God has a plan. Jeremiah 29, 11, right? I know the plans I have for you. In the New Testament, the Bible says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works which God planned in advance for us to do. Acts chapter 17 says that you are not here by accident. There was a plan as to who your parents would be, where you would be born, and so on and so forth. God has a plan. And it's a good thing to plan. Okay, last thing, last wise thing that we can do with money. Oh, you know what? I'm going to quit because I have Kevin Aiken, who's a banker, who, you know, these are 3,000 years old, but Kevin lives in the everyday world. The last thing is about investing, okay? And uh, we'll talk about that at some other point. Uh, but I want to have Kevin come up here. I didn't realize it's getting so late, Kevin. It always happens to me. But I asked Kevin if he would just share with us, from his perspective, some of the th ways in which people, you know, uh, kind of get in trouble and have problems in this whole area. Take your time. Yeah, Dave, thank you very much. <laughs> You know, Margie, Dave said, take as much time as I need. And, you know, I thought about that when he asked me to speak, and I said, there's no way a banker is going to outduel a pastor at this podium. So we'll give it a shot, and I hope my comments um, uh, are meaningful and give you some insight. Dave asked me to speak on some of the things that we see in banking um, as kind of common threads where people just put arbitrosses around their necks. I come from a perspective. I've been in banking for 41 years, my entire career. I've had the opportunity to work in consumer lending, commercial lending, mortgage banking, and I'm currently the regional manager and market manager in the greater New Haven area for Webster Bank. So I come from a perspective where I've seen a lot over the last 40 years, and so much has changed over the last 40 years. And Dave hit upon one very uh, incredible topic that has built itself with great momentum is the credit card area. The credit card area is the single most troubling aspect of credit that we see. It impacts people in tremendous ways. It ruins their credit score and just puts a tremendous burden on themselves and their family. Let me give you some statistics. Right now, the American consumer, all of us, 
owe $941.7 billion in credit card debt. That's a tick short of a trillion dollars in debt. This is 8.2% higher than last year. 14% of Americans have 10 or more cards. The average American consumer has four or five. I'd suggest that everyone look at that debt and the credit card companies are not your friendly banker down on Main Street. These are major national companies that are incredible at marketing and merchandising their product. They do not have your best interest at heart. I would say if you had five cards, cut it to two. Try to reduce the debt, pay off the balance, pay it off every month if you can. Don't allow the credit card companies or banks to really own you. Um, the other area that we have concern with is the overall housing debt. Housing debt can be the home you own or the apartment that you lease. People tend to buy too much home, and I think if you look back over the uh, last few years with the mortgage crisis that we've had, uh, again, uh, the banker on Main Street really didn't have your interest at heart. And I'm, I'm very proud to say I've worked for five lending institutions. None of those lending institutions participated in these subprime loans. These subprime lenders were, again, national companies that really don't have your best interest at heart. Buy what you need and make sure that you can manage that debt in the good times and the bad times. Another area along with housing debt is auto loans and auto leases. When have you gone to a used car, uh, a used car or a new car lot and said, geez, I'd like a stripped down model? Um, uh, the dealers are always going to sell you the highest end. They're going to try to get you into a monthly payment that you can afford today but many times these payments are now stretched out four, five, six, and now there's seven-year terms on these cars. What happens to a lot of that debt is the car ends up being upside down, just like our mortgages. You can't get out of that until you pay it off because the car ends up being worth less than, um, than what you owe on the loan. The other area of looming concern is student loans. Student loans is a tremendous cloud coming up, very similar to what the housing debt is. So many of our, our young people have gone to school, which is wonderful, for occupations that they can't either get jobs in or find they have no interest in. So I would caution parents as you start looking at this, and I understand the, the troubling aspect of putting someone through school today, um, the student loans is certainly an upcoming uh, cloud out there. And the other, uh, Dave talked about saving and investing. These are some interesting statistics. In the 1970s, the American consumers saved more than 12% of their income. In the 80s, that dropped to 10.5. The 1990s, 7.5. During the 2000s, that dropped to zero. We saved zero of what we earned. The good news is the last year or so, after all that's happened the last couple years, it's starting to slowly come back, and now we're in probably the 5% range. My message today is money does matter. Managing money matters more. And saving money for that rainy day is really what it's all about. We have to get back to saving more. Um, the mortgage um, crisis is going to be with us for quite some time. This is not going to burn off very quickly. I think a lot of people, uh, you know, say, who was at fault at this? Certainly the banks were, Wall Street was at fault. But I have to be honest, the consumer was at fault, too. Um, 
we have to basically say, no, we're not going to really put that debt on us and take on that debt because it really can just impact your lives terribly, your family, your future borrowing power. And we have out there this, this thing called the credit score. And I know most of you have heard of that. I would suggest that you know your credit score, that you know your credit. And if there are any blemishes or, or problems, that you, you work to, uh, to make sure that that is corrected. There are no quick, rich formulas. Uh, I've had the opportunity to work with some wonderful business people, and I salute those people who go into their own business. I've had the opportunity to see people uh, who make wonderful uh, income and revenues, and they spend it as fast as they can, can make it. The last couple of years, unfortunately, those businesses are long gone. Uh, the families are struggling on how they're going to get out of the debt that uh, has been incurred. So I, I think we really need to get back to basics, and I'm glad to see that there's a start to do that. You know, as we um, looked at, uh, my wife and I, uh, some readings, it's funny that recently uh, in a, um, uh, let me just see, it's called True Wealth. And I'd like to read this to you. Money is a powerful force. We work for it, we save it, we spend it, use it to satisfy our earthside longings, and then we wish we had more. Aware of its distracting da danger, Jesus taught more about money than any other topic. And as far as we know, he never took an offering for himself. Clearly, he didn't teach about giving to, the, to fill his own pockets. Instead, Jesus warned us that trusting in wealth and using it to gain power clogs our spiritual arteries more readily than most other impediments. In telling the story of the rich fool, he shamed his listeners for being rich toward God, indicating that God has far different definition of wealth than most of us. So what does it mean to be rich toward God? Paul tells us that those who are rich should not be conceited about their wealth, nor to trust in uncertain riches. Rather, we are to be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share. Interesting. God measures wealth by quality of our lives and our graciousness to distribute wealth to bless others. Not exactly what you'd hear as a Wall Street insider talk, but great advice for those of us who think we are secure in reputation and tie, our reputation is tied to the size of our bank account. Riches are a blessing only to those who make them a blessing to others. Thank you very much. Thanks so much. We're going to ask our ushers now if they would come and wait on us as we worship the Lord uh, with our giving this morning. <clears throat> 